Good morning. I'm Jamie Sudler, the host of this morning's panel at KGNU, and I also cover water issues at H2O Radio. Today we are going to be discussing the Colorado State Water Plan. In May of 2013, Governor Hickenlooper ordered that a state water plan be created. He said that a plan was necessary because the gap in water supply and the demand for water was real and looming. He also said that the largest regional gap between supply and demand was right here in the South Platte River Basin, which is also home to Greeley, Boulder, Fort Collins, and the whole northeastern part of the state. Not only does this region contain the state's largest population, but is also the state's largest farming region. The governor directed the Colorado Water Conservation Board to put the statewide water plan together and submit a draft by this December with a final plan to be done a year later in December 2015. Today we are going to hear about all of the work that has been done across the state to put together the plan so far. There are questions about the plan, most notably from people on the western slope. As an example, Eagle County Commissioner Kathy Chandler-Henry said she is concerned about the competing needs of the Front Range and the mountain communities. She stated, the concern is that the water is on the western slope and the people are on the eastern slope. Further, she said, while it's always great to collaborate and work together, we always are a little protective of the water that we need to keep on the western slope. We will be discussing those concerns, and we are also going to hear about the, what the plan might contain and what it won't contain. It is the first time the state has ever done such a plan, and here to discuss it, we, we have three important players in this process. First, we are happy to have James Eklund. James is the director of the Colorado, Colorado Water Conservation Board. He's been with the board since January 2011. Before that, he was in the governor's office as deputy legal counsel, and before that, he was in the Colorado Attorney General's office. It is his agency, the Colorado Water Conservation Board, that is tasked with putting together the state water plan. He's a fifth-generation Coloradan from the Western Slope and learned about water on his family's cattle ranch, now operated by his parents. Also with us is Sean Cronin. Sean is the executive director for the St. Vrain and Left Hand Water Conservancy District. He is a member of and the chair of the South Platte Basin Roundtable, which is one of the nine roundtables that is involved in the planning process. As the executive director of the St. Rain and Left Hand Water Conservancy District, Sean works to protect all the water rights in the district, an area that was heavily affected by the floods last September. Before he joined the Conservancy District, he was the city of Gre- with the city of Greeley for 13 years, the last six of which he was the city's water resources manager. And rounding out our panel, we have Abby Burke. Abby is the Western Rivers Action Network consultant for Colorado. She started with Audubon Rockies in January this year. She is responsible for promoting cultural change in water use, river conservation, through interacting with government representatives, conservation organizations, businesses, and recruiting, and training community leaders. She has taught courses in biology and science at the Front Range Community College. Welcome, all three. And before we get... we begin the discussion. Let me inform our listeners that later in the show, we will be opening up the phone lines for your questions. The number to call is 303-442-4242, and I'll let you know when we open up the discussion for your calls. Now, I want to start off asking uh, James England, the head of the Water Conservation Board, the reasons uh, for the state water plan. James, why is the state putting together a water plan? 
Thanks, Jamie, and uh, uh, thanks for the question and the forum. We uh, appreciate the radio station uh, having your program, uh, H2O Water On, uh, and uh, really the, the work to try and broaden the water conversation around the state. So really the water plan is just that. It's an opportunity we have as a state uh, to engage the, the rest of uh, our, 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 uh, our colleagues and as citizens and taxpayers around the state uh, to make sure that we're having a, a dialogue about water and the future that we want to see in Colorado. Uh, we know that we face several challenges with, with that uh, water future, and uh, those are, as you alluded to at the top of the program, uh, the gap uh, between supply and demand, uh, the increasing uh, population that we're going to see. We, we're expected to double by pop, uh, our population in Colorado by 2050. And we also have, uh, as a state, really come together and said, we don't want to see the, the uh, continued rate of permanent buy and dry of irrigated agriculture uh, being, you know, the, bearing the entire weight of our growth uh, and our water supply uh, issues. Uh, so we, we have some challenges in front of us. We are in the middle of interstate discussions. I, I don't think any of uh, your listeners have probably missed the, the drought situation in California being as dire as it is. Uh, we are the headwater state to 18 downstream states, and we have nine interstate compacts and two equitable apportionment decrees that determine our water, uh, how it leaves the state, and who gets it. And we as a state need to make sure that we have our house in order to make sure we're effective when we sit down with our other uh, states uh, neighboring us and downstream of us uh, to make sure that we, we have a plan and we as a state have a unified uh, concept and, and uh, a, pr- a set of principles about where we're headed. Well, now that you mentioned unified concept, let me ask you at the outset here, do you think it will be possible to develop a unified plan or 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 a consensus on what the Colorado water plan should be well we we're we're working with a, a theory or a hypothesis here that uh, if you put different people from different uh, parts of the state uh, with uh, together with the same facts uh, and and those facts are solid then you'll you'll end up with more uh, uh, agreement and and more uh, uh, sources of, of that agreement than you would otherwise. So we uh, we appreciate the work of all the real really volunteers that have been showing up at, at basin roundtable meetings around the state, uh, like Sean Cronin here on the panel, uh, and and folks that are uh, representing interest groups like Abby uh, that that have really come together to engage in this dialogue so that we're we as Coloradans. Uh, map map the the future and and someone else doesn't do it for us. So, uh, why haven't we had a state water plan before, James? Well, it, it's uh, it's typical that uh, the the water lawyers in the state, and I'm I count myself as one of those, uh, have have said you know we have a, a state water plan. It's called the Doctrine of Prior Appropriation, and it works just fine. And so that's all we need to say about the matter. But. That was really, and that was the line I would have told you if I were sitting in this seat, uh, at, you know, ten years ago. But the reality is, uh, we have this gap we know more about than we've ever known in our history. We have this rate of buy and dry of irrigated ag land. We have, uh, you know, these challenges that are really on our doorstep right now uh, that that we have to address if we want uh, the future that 
that uh, most of the folks that when we talk to uh, around the state in the Basin Roundtable process or elsewhere, uh, you know, they say they want a Colorado that, that uh, if we grow the next 5 million people the same way we grew the first 5 million, that may not be the, the state that we want uh, to see. So we have to be intentional if we want a different future, a different outcome. And the water plan is our opportunity to really get that done. Before I move on to Sean and ask him about his roundtable, can you tell us and our listeners, what does the State Water Conservation Board do or have responsibility for? You bet. Most people haven't heard of the Colorado Water Conservation Board or the CWCB, as we affectionately call ourselves. Uh, but we are a, a board. A, it's really the state's water policy planning agency. Um, it was formed in 1937 with the responsibility over that water planning, uh, flood and drought preparedness, watershed protection, environmental flows, interstate water relations, uh, and water project financing. So we have nine voting members from around the state, as well as the executive director, Mike King, of the Department of Natural Resources that, that sit on our board. And you are the executive director? Yes. How many people work at the Water Conservation Board? So we're a lean, mean, fighting machine. We're 46 employees. Uh, <laughs> and and as, as far as state agencies go, that's not really big, but we, we, uh, we do uh, quite a bit of a lift, as I, as I just uh, described there. Good. And uh, I actually saw all of them, I think, at a hearing uh, recently at the state legislature, and uh, they all seemed extremely energetic about their work. They are, and and they're joined because they, you know, they they get to work with people like Sean Cronin, who who are uh, really passionate about what they're doing in their basins, and that's that's you know an, an answer that that really uh, is is better articulated than the one I just gave to your last question, which is we for the first time in the state of Colorado's history have nine years of civic engagement at the grassroots level that we're standing on uh, top of, and no other time a state water plan has been talked about have we had that asset in our in our hip pocket really so this is it's a really a a great time to be uh engaging in water if even if you've never uh considered yourself a water person before sean let's ask you what you're you're the chair of the south platte river basin right round table that's correct, Jamie. Thank you. And so what does the roundtable, what, what does it do in terms of getting ready for the plan? Uh, great question. Um, for the most part, we meet and we talk um, to a lot of people. That's uh, um, not exactly their idea of an evening of fun. Um, but this, as James articulated, um, we, for about eight or nine years, we've been getting together um, and really trying to flesh out the challenges of making sure that we can meet all the various needs for, for a limited supply of water. And the South Platte Basin, those, those challenges are, are perhaps unique to the rest of the state in that you have a, an enormous urban sector that has a demand for that water, an uh, agricultural economy that relies on that water, um, and we need to uh, find a balance to meet both um, our quality of life that we um, so cherish in the agricultural community and the rural sectors, um, as well as our urban sectors. Um, and that's really where the, the, the two lines cross. As, as James alluded to earlier, um, historically that the, the water to provide for urban areas has been um, by willing seller, willing buyer of a, uh, from agricultural to the municipality. Um, and for the last eight or so years, we've um, talked about how we could best meet that needs in, in perhaps some different ways um, so that we can preserve that quality of life that, uh, for the most part, people really associate with Colorado. 
Now, uh, is your roundtable made up of different organizations and people? Yes. Um, it was created out of the, the Water for 21st Century Act out of the legislature, and they had specific appointments. Um, so water conservancy districts, whom I, rep- I represent at least one of them, um, have a seat at the table as well as environmental and recreational uh, seats, industrial and uh, municipal seats. So uh, we feel like we're pretty diversely uh, represented there. And as I've been saying, um, it, it's uh, it's been a long time of, of really diving deep into the issues and, and really trying to come up with uh, solutions that there's no winners and losers, but um, that inevitable win-win. So how long have you been re- meeting as a roundtable? Uh, for, for eight or nine years now, uh, we've been meeting um, as, as often as monthly. Um, and now with the uh, governor's executive order, uh, we're not only meeting monthly, but we've formed committees that meet uh, semi-regularly to really roll up our sleeves and dive deeper into the issues. Um, and we've already uh, uh, we've hired some consultants who are working around the clock to meet the governor's deadline um, and, and provide us information that we can act on as a roundtable. Now, your area, the South Platte River Basin Roundtable, actually covers an immense part of the state, correct? Correct. Um, and, and more to the point, uh, for the, the, the Colorado Water Plan, we've actually um, happily joined with a, another roundtable that was a, a specific carve-out by the legislature called the Metro Roundtable, which addressed the specific needs within the Denver metro area. Um, and we are working closely with the Metro Roundtable to cover the South Platte Basin, which hydrologically, that's all interconnected. And... The South Platte River Basin area accounts for a huge percentage of the agriculture that's produced in Colorado, correct? Correct. Um, there, there, there's all sorts of numbers that float out there, but roughly speaking, uh, 75% of the agricultural sales output is from the South Platte Basin. And I, I've read recently, I think in your basin's r- report, that that amount of agricultural production is based upon about 26% of the diverted water in Colorado. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that, that's about right. Um, the, the, the South Platte Basin, what makes it very unique is um, we're able to produce an enormous amount of output, both in terms of agriculture um, and other economies in the urban sector, um, by continually reusing water. Um, so we have a, a limited supply that starts in the mountains and, and makes its way down to the state line, and it's used and reused and used and reused a number of times before it, it hits that state line. So we're amazingly efficient. Um, and, and we're able to sustain several economies by um, really sharing that water. And, and, and we want to extend that concept into the state water plan. Now, I can't hesitate, hesitate but ask you, Sean, how is the recovery going since the flood in your area? Oh, thank you. I thought we were getting away from that for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the recovery's um, slow. Um, we're working very closely with our, our federal partners and the state agencies like the Colorado Water Conservation Board. Um, you know, you asked the question earlier of, of why a state water plan. Um, I've seen firsthand that it's really not pleasant to have to make uh, decisions during a crisis. And I, I think that the flood really helped us see that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we don't want winners and losers. And, and in the case of crisis management, there are winners and losers. And we're seeing that with the flood. And I think the fact that um, our legislators and other water leaders had the vision to start this process a decade ago, even though we may not have that gap hit us for some time in the future, um, we are going to really reap the benefits of having all this planned out now and not have to deal with it like we were dealing with the flood immediately when the crisis happens. 
Great. And Abby, I want to get you in the conversation. And uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, what is the role of uh, people who are more um, centered on the environmental aspects of the water plant, if that's fair? Absolutely. And I want to thank you for the invitation this morning and the warm welcome, and also for James and Sean and all their work that they've been doing. Um, Amassing a state water plan is a tremendous goal. And to have it as a local grassroots initiative so that the plan becomes that particular basin's um, realization of their resources and protecting of their environmental resources included within those priorities, it's outstanding. And it's, it's, it's definitely notable. So thank you very much. Um, with non-consumptive uses, um, we get involved, Audubon becomes involved with the Western River Action Network in making sure that our non-consumptive uses or the water in the stream uses um, has an equivalent footing with consumptive uses. Our riparian and wetland areas provide us tremendous ecological benefits um, from erosion control to flood control, groundwater discharge, um, water filtering, um, and providing tremendous amounts of habitat, biodiversity, and also providing tremendous amounts of food. Um, So with our focus on riparian areas, which are the transitional areas um, from the water surface to the drier elevations, um, where there's a tremendous amount of vegetation and biodiversity, we are taking a particular facet in protecting and monitoring riparian health. And for our folks that are certainly uh, bird watchers and bird lovers, um, kayakers, recreational enthusiasts, we all benefit from having healthy streams and healthy rivers. And I'd like to applaud Governor Hickenlooper for including that in his executive order mandate with the creation of the water plan. So our members are involved across the state. So I want to make sure our listeners understand that when you talk about non-consumptive uses, Mm -hmm. you're talking about water that flows down the river and keeps going. Is that a good way to put it? Correct. It's typically an in-stream flow from point A to point B. And um, within certainly um, our Colorado water law constraints. Um, So we provide and make sure that we protect these in-stream flows um, so that they can support these riparian areas because riparian areas and wetlands, obviously, they are driven by water and river water. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Jamie Sudler, and I'm hosting a panel discussion today of the State Water Plan on KGNU Radio. And with me are James Eklund, the director of the Water Conservation Board in Colorado, Sean Cronin of the South Platte River Basin Roundtable, and Abby Burke of the Audubon Society. So let me ask you more questions, but I do want to state that we will take questions from listeners. The call-in number for that is 303-442-442. 4242. And you can go ahead and call at this time if you want to ask our panel some questions. Let me get back to um, what will be in the water plan. Of course, uh, we don't know exactly what's going to be in the water plan, but uh, um, James, let me ask you, will the plan describe specific water projects like reservoirs or trans mountain diversions? Now, the plan uh, has to address uh, a number of items that we've covered here uh, this morning, but we also um, we also have to make sure that we're not picking winners and losers. And uh, to to Mr. Cronin's point, we're uh, 
whereas a state, uh, we, we have a finite number of tools to, at our disposal to address this problem, uh, these several problems, really, of the gap and, and, uh, and you know, trying to, to uh, halt or at least uh, uh, um, slow down the rate of permanent buy and dry of irrigated agriculture. Um, so we, uh, we have to make sure that we're talking about how we become more agile as a state uh, in, in addressing this variable hydrology that we've been seeing. You know, we went from drought, <clears throat> excuse me, drought uh, to wildfire, back to drought, then floods uh, that, that uh, Sean just talked about. And as, as a state, you know, we have to get away from a system uh, or a regulatory process that takes really decades to to uh, um, get a project through. Uh, as a state, we have to be more agile than that. And the water plan can talk about how a project gets on a path to a, a quicker, not a more hurried, but a quicker uh, regulatory process uh, to allow us to do that. Okay. We have a question from a caller, and we have a, a Martin in Boulder calling in. Martin, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Well, you, you spoke about use of water and reuse of water. What about disuse or misuse of water? Uh, and I'm talking about the fracking, which renders water toxic, you know, for our foreseeable future. H have, have you factored in the amount of water that is that is used in the fracking process and may even contaminate aquifers. We don't know. The, the jury's still out on that one. Uh, thank you, Martin. Uh, let me throw that to James and ask, will the water plan consider things like the use of water for fracking and the water that uh, comes off of fracking sites? Well, thanks for the question. Uh, I think it was Martin. Yes. Uh, and uh, w we really have uh, an energy water nexus that we need to address with the water plan. Uh, but that having been said, that's led us to look at some of the numbers, some of the data. And if you look at the entire statewide picture, and I know it's different county to county because it's, you know, energy development happens, you know, more robustly right now in, in different counties than others. But uh, statewide, which is kind of our charge here, uh, we, we look at water withdrawals and water withdrawals for fracking are about 0.04% uh, of of the water withdrawn in the state, so it's it's as far as water usage goes, it's really not you know the uh, the the big elephant in the room uh, that we we have to contend with. Now the water quality issues are also you know there's a quality and quantity nexus in water, and we have to address that in the water plan. And uh, for you know for you know the points that Martin's brought up or the questions and issues that he's raised, we have to make sure as a state. We're uh, able to, to um, make sure we have the robust rec regulations in place to make sure that we're, we're protecting that resource and the quality of it. Uh, so uh, I, I think sometimes there's this, this idea that we're, we're going to uh, have a, uh, a huge amount of water uh, used for that industry, and uh, we're not finding that to be the case. So I wanted to ask Sean uh, to, if he has a response to that question about fracking, because there's so much uh, fracking, oil drilling, gas operations going on in the South Platte River Basin. Do you have any thoughts about the question? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, it, it is a, a, a real challenge. To James' point, um, it's a um, small amount of water in the scheme of everything that we're looking at and fulfilling that gap. Um, it's, a, it's a valid 
question or concern in terms of the quality and, and um, in, embedded within that executive order is a, a, a directive to work closely with the Colorado Department of Health and Environment um, so that I'm sure that that conversation is, is ongoing. Um, it, it should come as no surprise uh, when it comes to water, we're not in agreement on all things. Um, and particularly when you overlay fracking into it, it, it becomes a, a pretty heated and emotional kind of discussion that just happens to have a water component to it as well. Um, so I, I think as a roundtable, um, we're in agreement that um, you want to maintain local control. Um, and I, I think we're also in agreement that we want to um, uphold our, our environment and maintain a high level of, of quality of water for future generations. And where we find the ability to be able to uh, promote better practices uh, with maintaining local control as well as um, uh, providing that legacy of high quality water to the next generation um, as a roundtable, I think we're universally supportive of that. Great. Good. Uh, so that was Sean Cronin, and he is with the South Platte River Basin Roundtable, and we're discussing the water plan. And it is uh, about 9 o'clock. Is this, this is KGNU, Boulder, Denver, 88.5 FM, 1390 AM, and through translator K229AC in Nederland, Colorado, at 93.7. So let's continue the conversation. And... Um, KGNU is actually going to be doing an ongoing coverage of water issues with our series Connecting the Drops. And on Sunday, April 13th at 5 p.m., we'll be doing a statewide call-in show on water and energy. So um, if I could ask Abby to, to weigh in on Martin's question, uh, did you have any response to what he asked about fracking? And what, what's, what are the environmental interests, if I can paint you with that broad brush, brush uh, thinking about that issue? Absolutely. It's a bit outside of the scope of my particular campaign, um, but certainly it is a concern. Um, with any sort of industry, there's always room for error, but really fracking um, needs to be looked at on a case-by-case basis, and we're still studying and learning more every day. Um, so Audubon is still developing, again, case-by-case basis and formatting. Okay, so uh, we have another caller. Before I get to that caller, I wanted to ask um, James and any of the other panelists about the gap that we've been talking about. We've been mentioning a gap, and uh, those who are involved in water know exactly what we're talking about. But James, fill us in. What is this gap? You bet. Um, Our gap between supply and demand for water uh, is, is what we're talking about when we use that shorthand, the gap. Uh, and we are estimating that it could grow to 500,000 acre feet by 2030. And so for a, a person that's not really engaged in the water discussion or hasn't been yet, hopefully they will be, uh, is, uh, you know, what, what's an acre foot of water? An acre foot of water is uh, if you went to, you know, uh, a Coors field and you filled the, uh, the field up, up to a foot of water, you know, that's about how much an acre foot is. And we have uh, really uh, 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 the capacity to uh, given current conservation techniques uh, to, to supply a family of four, you know, two, two and a half to three 
families of four uh, with one acre foot of water every year. So we're talking about big numbers here, and our gap between supply and demand could grow to as many as 500,000 uh, acre feet of, of water uh, being the gap by 2030. So this is based, where does this number come from? This, this is based on data and analysis that was produced by the Colorado Water Conservation Board when they analyzed uh, Colorado's water uh, use and need in something called the Statewide Water Supply Initiative. And there's another uh, short-term water wonky uh, uh, term that's it's usually called SWAZI in shorthand. So the Statewide Water Supply Initiative. And that was a report that really started back in 2003. Um, and it's been updated periodically ever since. In fact, we're in the middle of another update of that technical framework that will underlie the water plan. Now, you said the state population could grow to as high as uh, what was the number? Yeah, 10 million total. So we're at 5.5 right now, uh, 5.5 million Coloradans, and, and we could be at 10 million by 2050. And, and that's not an overly aggressive uh, number. Okay. So I, I want to give you a little bit of a challenge on that um, because uh, I mentioned uh, Commissioner Chandler Henry from Eagle County uh, in the introduction, and she has said another thing about the projection of Colorado's population. She said that we don't think it's necessarily true. We've had some big changes with the recession recently that have slowed down population growth, and we would like to see more land planning, community planning, and be a part of this whole water discussion. On the question of population growth, how confident, and I'll throw it to all three of you in a moment, are you, how confident are you of the, the projections of the state growth? So we just got through a four- to five-year re recession uh, where we did see more people moving into Colorado because, you know, and, and I think I know we're biased here in this room, but we have uh, a beautiful state to live in. People want to live here. Uh, they want to bring their families here and raise them, and they want to, you know, grow their businesses here. And uh, I don't think that that aspect of Colorado is going to change anytime soon. So as our economy starts to, uh, you know, come out of this recession as it is, and we see more and more uh, interest in moving to Colorado, I, I think we can only anticipate as, as we're planning for the future of our water supply and needs that we're going to see more people. And that the, it's going to be a big number because people really like living here. And, and uh, you know, over half that growth of the 5 million more people by 2050 is going to come from our own kids. So I guess, uh, Jamie, I'm part of the problem. I've got three myself. So uh, we, we, we do need to plan for that because if we, if we don't see that many people to the commissioner's point then great and we've we've you know we've uh maybe outplanned ourselves but what we what we've got to do is make sure we're not on the other side of that coin where we haven't planned well enough for the the influx of people that our state demographer is really calculated and they usually aren't off by that much so sean what do you think about the projection of the population growth in the next uh, 20 30 years yeah, thank you. Um, to take it down to the South Platte Basin, we're projecting uh, doubling in population from about 3.5 million to 6 million people. So James's number of 10 million statewide, you've got over a majority of that uh, just occurring in the South Platte Basin alone. Um, and to James's point, um, I've personally added two as well to that number. Um, and I suspect uh, there's people that are going to continue to move here. Um, you know, just the drive down this morning on I-25 um, due to the ice and, and whatnot was uh, – 
uh, locked up. And I think you could live in various places across the country um, and realize very quickly that Colorado is a wonderful place uh, to live. And and so we're going to continue to see um, folks come here um, and and produce their own children to add to that population. Um, and I think whether you're talking three and a half million uh, to six million, whether that's 2050 or 2055 or 2060, um, it, it, it is coming. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think if we plan for that accordingly now, we won't be having to make some hard decisions about our water um, once we hit that uh, four million person mark. We have a lot more calls coming in, so I want to take them. And Jan is in Denver. Can you hear me, Jan? Yes. What's your question? Um, I have two questions. Um, thank you for addressing the amount of water that's used in fracking. Um, but I think the more important question when you look at Rifle and other areas whose groundwater, wells, and aquifers have been poisoned, I wonder if they're planning on looking at that. They talked about quality. We know that they're considering fracking um, near Commerce City and Aurora. And so the quantity of water that may be poisoned by fracking may be tender the amount that we use it. Um, the other question is, is it true that in Denver or possibly in Colorado, it's illegal to collect rainwater? Okay, good questions. Well, uh, let me ask first. Sorry? Did you have some follow-up? No. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Sean, let me ask you. Let me ask you if you have a response to her question again about the fracking issue. Yeah, I, I think we we addressed it with uh, the earlier question. I, I think it's a matter of um, doing things responsibly, and uh, I know there's been great strides um, even here recently with uh, air quality, um, and I, I think the state takes very seriously. Uh, the the quality of our water and ensuring that we're doing things safely um, while also maintaining um, that that local right to develop um, and allowing certain economies to exist um, without uh, tremendous interference. And and I don't know that um, we know all the answers right now. And from a a, a local South Platte perspective, um, as I mentioned earlier, I I think water quality is certainly a a focus and in the best interest of everybody serving on the roundtable. And, uh, James, let me ask you about the rainwater collection question. You bet. Um, That's that's off-talked about, so I'm glad uh, that that Jan had the question uh, brought here. We have uh, in Colorado a a doctrine of prior appropriation that that governs our water law, and it's important to understand kind of how that works to understand the answer to the the question Jan raised. Uh, The doctrine of prior appropriation basically is first in time, first in right. So if you were a person who uh, put your your shovel in the river and diverted water in 1880, and you are senior to somebody that developed in 1980. Uh, that's that's kind of the the doctrine that we operate under. Uh, so why does that have anything to do with Jan's question? Uh, the reason is when rain falls in Denver on you know my roof, for example, uh, and and then goes into uh, the gutter and, and goes to a collection a, a treatment plant and and then you know is discharged to the river. We have uh, uh, really uh, an ob- we've got water that's coming down in Denver that ultimately gets used. 
used by people lower down on the river. So the folks down uh, downstream of us where Sean Cronin is and a lot of the members of the roundtable, the South Platte roundtable uh, live and the ag economy that, that uh, really that water goes to, to uh, uh, supply. Uh, that that's all dependent on something called return flows and the the really the concept is when water falls on your roof it it's really the water of the state and the right to use it is is uh, really determined by our prior appropriation system so you you can't you know in in large scale do that kind of rainwater harvesting. Now, that having been said, there's a statute that's allowed for pilot projects to to occur, and they're still collecting data on the, you know, the the ultimate impacts of people, you know, setting up a a, a collection barrel and and channeling all their gutters into that barrel to, to collect water to maybe put on their lawn or irrigate their garden or whatever. So it it's not it's not totally true that it's, that it's completely illegal. There are pilot projects out there, but if you do it on a massive scale in a way that impacts return flows on the river, then you have impacted somebody else's water right. So that's, I'm sorry for the long winded answer there, but, but it's kind of a long winded answer to the question. Thank you. And I want to remind our listeners that we are going to have a statewide call in show dedicated to water and energy on Sunday, April 13th. So you can actually call in with your fracking questions there. And more information about that can be found at KGNU's water coverage at KGNU.org. And next we have a call from Karen in Boulder. Karen, are you there? Yes. What's your question, yeah. Karen? Um, I, I've got, uh, in, in all of this, I haven't heard you mention conservation. And um, there I'm wondering about um, the fact that so much water is, um, is, is wasted in Colorado, and part of that is, is things like, for instance, I live in an apartment building, um, and we have um, a, um, a, a garbage disposal in each of the apartments that, um, where we're supposed to put all of our organic waste, and um, a number of us have tried to make a composter um, in, in the garden area of the apartment building, um, and we've been told by the administration of the building that we're forbidden to compost our garden waste, that we have to put them down the garbage disposal. The food waste that's put down the garbage disposal, of course, just goes through the water system. It's a waste of water. But the way that the rules are set up, we're forced to use it because the city planners have required that garbage disposals be put in apartments. Um, and so it really needs to be addressed, conservation needs to be addressed on the level of city planning and building codes, because well, let's, there's let's so much waste that's built into our building codes. Yes. So let me ask Abby Burke from Audubon about that question. Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Conservation, especially with conservation of water, is um, a tremendous um, source of um, almost considered like a new supply. And, and conservation is going to be addressed in the water plan, correct? Yes, it's being incorporated with numbers of conservation right now. As appliances are aging out, people are replacing them with more efficient appliances. Um, so conserving water certainly does help remain um, more water in rivers and streams. Um, I think that the best path for your particular question um, would even be to direct it to the public input 
time during the South Platte um, Basin Roundtable meetings um, to bring water conservation to a higher profile, a higher awareness, so that your particular views can be incorporated within your basin um, to be planned for and then also rolled into the Colorado water plan. But conservation is um, our most accessible way that we can provide more water for rivers and streams. In fact, if I were speaking for some of our Western Slope uh, neighbors, they are pointing to conservation as one of the major things that the East Slope should be doing. But, James, there's been a lot of conservation efforts uh, in the metro area and the Front Range so far. Yes, uh, that's true, Jamie. And, uh, you know, I direct uh, Karen and and really all your listeners to www.coloradowaterplan.com. There is a a public, you know, general form that you can fill out online uh, if you have particular uh, concerns or questions and, uh, you know, or issues that you want to, you want to uh, raise. Uh, but that's right. Conservation is a huge part of, of the solution here. Uh, uh, we know we can't conserve our way out of this gap problem, but we do know that, uh, we can, we can do things better than we have in the past. And there are, there are some really innovative things going on right now. Uh, some of the water supply, uh, providers around the metro area are engaged in a discussion about something called the WISE project. I think it's Water Infrastructure Supply Efficiency Project. And and that WISE project is really a way of taking water that's from the western slope uh, and and can be uh, reused and reused and reused really till it's extinguished completely. Uh, and then uh, you know, but to do that, you have to you have to treat it, you have to put it back in the system, or you have to put it back in, in into um, a use. And that Wise project is an uh, is really a combination of Denver Water Aurora and a lot of the South Metro uh, Denver communities that are really very reliant on groundwater right now. And that groundwater supply for them isn't as reliable as it once was, so they need to go uh, look elsewhere. And this is uh, this, this conservation reuse concept is uh, really the way they are thinking right now. And that's, that's another thing that's changed since, uh, since we last talked about a state water plan is we've got some really innovative thinking going on on the front range, and we need to make sure we applaud that. Sean, what do you have to say about uh, conservation in the state water plan? Yeah, thank thank you for that um, question, Karen. Conservation is is clearly a a critical piece of what we'll be looking at. Um, I believe she called from from Boulder. City of Boulder has a a, a robust um, water conservation program, and um, they are um, uh, continuing to evolve in that um, program and, and continuing to add elements to the program to help conserve water locally for the the city of Boulder. Um, you mentioned at the start of the program, my former employer, the city of Greeley, they spent about a half a million dollars a year on water conservation education and programs um, and have successfully conserved water. Um, the, the challenge with conservation is, is whether you're conserving that for that new growth that we talked about um, or whether you're conserving that water for um, a drought. Um, and then where do, you, where do you put that water once you conserve it? Um, so one of the, the, the real challenges with with a lot of this conversation is it becomes um, circular where you're talking about conservation at the same time you're talking about storage Um, and storage ends up being controversial um, and conservation ends up being seen as a as an opportunity to avoid storage Um, and and the real challenge there is uh, as James mentioned at the opener we're the headwater state um, and I'm a firm believer in gravity which means uh, that water once it's conserved it's going to run downhill Um, 
Um, so how do we capture that and how do we make use of it so that if we are conserving it, we can either use it for that future growth or use it to maintain a certain quality of life through the drought. Um, so I think as a roundtable, we're all firmly uh, implanted in conservation is a critical piece. It, it makes good business sense. It's good for the environment. Um, the customers demand it. Um, the, the agricultural sectors have been conserving for, for generations um, to uh, maintain a, a, a viable living. So we're all supportive of it. It, it makes great sense. Um, the devil's in the details on once you've conserved, how do you then make the most efficient use of that and um, provide for the needs of, of uh, current and future economies? And we're going to go to the next caller, but before I do so, if you're just tuning in, this is Jamie Sudler, and I'm hosting a panel discussion here on KGNU about the state water plan that the governor ordered to be put together and done by the end of 2015, an enormous project that my three panelists have been involved in. Let's go to another call. There's Kevin in Lakewood. Kevin, can you hear me? Yes. What's your question for our panel? My question has to do with the ability of uh, government agencies to influence personal property rights. So I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing is that maybe a farmer who owns this water right might not be allowed to sell to the highest bidder who wants the water. They might be forced to lease or maybe forced to lease a percentage and keep a percentage. And I see that no different than me as just a, a householder in Lakewood being told, I can, for instance, not sell my house, but only lease it 50% of the time, or only to families that have less than two kids. And I, I, don't, I don't see how that's fair to the people owning that property. I don't see how we keep it from creeping into everything else. Well, let me ask the question for James Eklund. What, what's your view of the listener's question? It's a very good question, and I appreciate him raising it. So uh, I'm from a, a cattle ranch over on the western slope, and, and there is no way that this water plan can uh, really tell uh, a willing buyer or a willing seller of their own personal property right, that is their water right, uh, what they're going to be able to do or not do with that with that water right. So uh, the, the the question is is, uh, is a really good one because we need to make sure that uh, everyone understands that we're not talking about really doing anything uh, to upend the doctrine of prior appropriation with this plan. Instead, we're working within it. So if we can, if we can have uh, 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 some options that we give those ag producers, uh, just like when you go to Home Depot and, and you look at shower heads or toilets or whatever the fixture is that you want to put into your own personal home, you have some options about how you want to use, use the water that you're entitled to use. Uh, the ag, ag producers really need to be given as many options as possible uh, to make sure that they, if they want to keep their water tied to their land, uh, are, are still able to uh, maybe get some money from the municipalities that are interested in doing a, a lease following or a water co-op or some other uh, mechanism that might allow the transfer of the water in times of drought when the, when the municipality may need it uh, in exchange for some money. And then you know, at the same time, uh, allow that water to be tied permanently or in per perpetuity to the land uh, to keep it in irrigated agriculture. Uh, so it's a great question, and, and thanks to the caller for, for asking it. And Sean, did you have a response? Yeah, uh, thank you, Kevin. I, 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 we have a roundtable meeting coming up on Tuesday, and if I, I didn't 
bring up private property rights here. I don't think I'll be able to show my face there on Tuesday. Um, it's it's a very important question, particularly in the South Platte. As we mentioned earlier, a majority of the agriculture um, output is in the South Platte Basin. Um, as James uh, talked about, we, we want to um, offer up um, different options for the farmer to be able to make the most uh, use of that that water right and that property right. Um, we've got uh, areas that are under conservation easement in the South Platte Basin as a as a potential option that ties the water to the the ground, uh, preserves that irrigated agriculture in perpetuity, um, but also compensates them for that um, um, ability to lock that up. Um, that's on one end of the spectrum. Um, the other end of the spectrum is you have water sharing um, that's actively going on between the municipality and the farmer, um, once again, where um, everybody is compensated for that sharing opportunity. We think there's there's uh, more possibility in the South Platte Basin to enhance on both ends of that spectrum and, and all in between. Uh, once again, the, the, the devil is in the details on um, whether that's going to meet all the needs um, for the gap at, at very specific locations is going to be the real challenge. Um, but it is uh, something that's taken very seriously. We do not want to um, enter into any discussions or suggest to the state that we're trying to um, impede private property rights. Um, and um, the South Platte Basin in particular is, is uh, incredibly mindful of that. I imagine so, and I want to tell our listeners that uh, we're going to ha- we're going to take one more call. We have a lot of calls coming in, and there's obviously a lot of interest in this important subject. And so we will be doing more shows like this. But uh, don't forget about our call-in show at KGNU on April 13th on water and energy, and you can find out more about that at kgnu.org. And also, I want to make sure that our listeners know that we have at our website uh, a link to the Colorado Water Plan and information about the, some of the public meetings that are occurring, uh, as, as Sean alluded to. In fact, there have been many public meetings about the water plan so far and all of the uh, uh, meetings leading to the governor's executive order. And that website where you can find that information is kgnu.org forward slash a public affair and so we're going to take our last call peter in pinewood springs are you there yes i am uh thank What's you your this question this is a very good forum um this may be for ad but anybody could answer this um because of the way that state water law has been operating for a long time is there any impediments the structural or legal impediments to create the health and vitality of streams and rivers in colorado is part of the state water plan going to address current uh, state water law in terms of how this might in-stream flows happen? You know, in other words, is it moral to dry up a stream on the western side of the mountain to create in-stream flow on the eastern side of the mountains? And I'll take this off the air. Thank you. Abby? Thank you for your question. Um, the state water plan does accommodate for non-consumptive or in-stream flow uses of water. Um, what seems to have been the gold standard historically, and environmental flows tend to be a constraint um, along the way. So in-stream flows are one portion of a natural river's life, if you will. Um, it accommodates for the low flow portion of a river's life, um, where rivers need high flows, flooding flows, um, to mobilize the sediment, to regenerate, and to revitalize the riparian vegetation. 
And we, um, with Audubon, we are concerned to continue to raise that um, profile for in-stream water. Um, we've done a tremendous amount of work in quantifying what consumptive needs are. And we talk about the gap quite a bit. However, there's also an environmental gap that is much more elusive and more difficult to quantify. This science is very young. It's called environmental flow science, and it's trying to discern rivers reach by river reach what is adequate, what are the flow regimes, what timing, what sort of pulse, what kind of duration, what kind of magnitude of a water release is necessary to keep sustainable fisheries and sustainable riparian habitats. So the challenge is, and I believe we are up to it, is to quantify these non-consumptive or in-stream flow needs to continue the sustainability of our healthy rivers and our ecosystems. But the science is still young. We're generating it now with the Colorado Water Plan for Colorado, um, but more emphasis needs to be applied in that direction. So thank you very much for your call and your concern. Yeah, thank you for your call. And Sean, he has a, he has a, a response to the question. Thank you, Peter, for that, that question. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the state water plan um, will um, dive into that issue. Um, as Abby um, stated, it, it, it is a young science. Um, there's still a lot to be learned. Uh, but there's templates out there that we can build on. Um, there's a project called the Windy Gap Firming Project um, that would bring water to the, the South Platte Basin from the West Slope. Um, and, and what we water wonks call multi-use facilities. And that was um, a project where um, there was an agreement struck between uh, Grand County and Trout Unlimited and some other organizations and the, 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 the project recipients um, that you can um, create a water diversion and still benefit multiple benefits. Um, and I, I think that's a template we can follow um, for future discussions. And um, I believe that as the science evolves on what is necessary for the non-consumptive side, um, we can continue to find a balance between providing for the needs of consumptive as well as enhancing and creating new opportunities for the non-consumptive. And so uh, you were actually referring to an agreement that was announced yesterday, right, between uh, Trout Unlimited, Grand County, and the Denver Water Department? Uh, well, th there's that one too. Oh, okay, um, that's th another one. That's yeah. correct, um, and and also similarly positioned where um, over time, and as James suggested, it, these take decades. But um, I think folks can come to an agreement on how to provide multiple benefits. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all our panelists. It seems like the hour has gone very fast with all the great questions from listeners. And uh, we will be doing uh, additional shows like this about the water plan and water issues. And I definitely want to direct everybody to the website, KGNU, with lots of information there about water and uh, a page devoted to the fracking issue. But first of all, I want to thank James Eklund, the director of the Water Conservation Board, for being here, and Sean Cronin with the South Platte River Basin Roundtable, and Abby Burke of the Audubon Society. Thank you all very much. This has been fascinating, and uh, we, we are happy you came down to share your thoughts about the state water plan with us. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much.